Good morning, friends. Today's message is titled The First Christmas Carols, and it comes from Luke chapter 1 and 2. Let me begin by asking you this question. Do you know where to find the first Christmas carols? Is it in colonial America? Is it in merry old England? Somewhere in Europe? Well, the answer is no. The first Christmas carols go back far beyond America or England or Europe. The very first Christmas carols go back 2,000 years to the very first Christmas. The tradition of singing at Christmas time is as old as Christmas itself. The first Christmas carols were, are written in the Bible as part of the Christmas story. When Dr. Luke sat down to write his gospel, he recorded four of the original songs of Christmas, and they're found in Luke 1 and 2, the story of the birth of Jesus. Over the centuries, the Christian church has recognized the special significance of these four songs of Christmas. Depending upon what church background you come from, you may have heard them sung in church. If you are a Catholic or Orthodox, Lutheran or Episcopal, something like that, you have doubtless heard these four songs many times. In the early centuries of the Christian church, the Bible was translated into Latin. And from that time until the present, these four songs have been best known by their Latin titles. In each case, the title is simply the first word or two of the very first line of the song. The four songs in order are Mary's song, called the Magnificat, found in Luke 1, 48-55. Then there's Zechariah's song, the Benedictus, found in Luke 1, 67-80. Then there's the angel song, the Gloria in Excelsis, found in Luke 2:14. And then there's Simeon's song, the Nunc Dimittis, found in Luke chapter 2, verses 29 to 32. These early Christmas carols tell us what the oft-repeated story of Christmas really means. Now, with that as background, today I want to share a few thoughts about the second Christmas carol, Zechariah's song, the Benedictus found in Luke 1, 67-80. But before we jump into the text, we need to notice two introductory facts that will help us understand what the Benedictus is all about. Fact number one is, the Benedictus was composed by a man named Zechariah. Now, you may or may not recognize that name, but if you know your Bible, you probably know that there was a prophet by that name who wrote a book in the Old Testament named Zechariah. But that's a different Zechariah. The one we're talking about was a priest in Jerusalem. Luke 1 tells the story of how an angel predicted that he and his barren wife, Elizabeth, would give birth to a son who would be the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. Zechariah didn't believe the angel, so his power of speech was taken away from him for nine mo- the nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. When the baby was finally born, Zechariah named him John, as the angel had instructed and his speech was immediately restored. In that joyous moment, as he held his son in his arms, Zechariah broke forth in a song of praise to God, and that song is the Benedictus. Here's fact number two. Zechariah was a priest who was steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. As Zechariah breaks forth into song, his words reflect his Old Testament heritage. The Benedictus sounds partly like the Psalms and partly like the Prophets, but it certainly sounds a whole lot like the Old Testament. In some ways, it doesn't sound like it even belongs in the New Testament, but that's part of its great value. Zechariah's song reveals the deep faith of the Jewish people on the eve of the Messiah's birth. 
For hundreds of years, the people of God had been waiting for Messiah to come. And now at last, he's almost here. These words of Zechariah bring us to the very edge that separates the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here before us is a snapshot of Jewish faith on the eve of the Incarnation. These words, uttered a few months before Jesus' birth, take us behind the scenes and into the heart of godly Judaism. They tell us what the coming of Christ meant to the people who had waited so long for him to arrive. The theme of the Benedictus is not hard to find. Zechariah uses one key word at the beginning at the and at the ending of his song. In verse 68, he says, Praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. And then in verse 78, he said, The rising sun will come to us from heaven. In both verses, that verb phrase comes from a root word that means to visit personally. It's the very word Jesus used in Matthew 25:36 when he said, I was sick and you visited me. The word was used in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, for God visiting his people in order to bring them great blessing. It was the idea of seeing someone in distress and intervening personally in order to relieve their misery. It's what happens when you hear about the death of someone you love. You don't just send a sympathy card. You don't just call on the phone. You go in person. To visit means to be so moved by the misery you see all around you that you get personally involved in providing a solution. All that is on Zechariah's heart and is comprehended is comprehended in this one single truth. At long last, God has visited his people. At long last, God has kept his promise. At long last, God has arrived on the scene. The visitor from heaven has come to us. Now, it's hard for us to grasp the magnitude of this thought. But for 4,000 long, dreary years, God seemed to have neglected his people. I mean, nobody appeared more forgotten than the Jews who were chafing under Roman rule. Reduced to an obscure province in the Roman Empire, they were rejected, overlooked, and despised. Nearly a thousand years had passed since the glory days of King David. Over 400 years had passed since their last prophet, a man named Malachi. On the lips of pious men and women, one question towered above all the rest. Has God forgotten his people? Yes, the prophets spoke of one who would come. They spoke of one who would be born of a virgin, born in David's royal city, who would sit on the throne of his father David and rule over the house of Jacob forever. They spoke of one who would rule the nations and redeem his people and restore Israel to its former glory. They spoke of one whose name was Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But perhaps the prophets were wrong. Perhaps it was all a dream, simply wishful thinking by generations of mystics and seers. I mean, so many years had come and gone. I mean, sons had buried their fathers and their sons had buried them. And so the generations rolled on and still there was no word from heaven. So many indignities had been perpetrated on the Jewish people that a skeptical observer could be forgiven for concluding that the Jews had blown their chances centuries ago. I mean, maybe God had given up on his people. I mean, perhaps he was now working with the Greeks or the Romans. Perhaps Israel was relegated to the back bin of history, a second-rate country whose best days were long gone. So no one really took them seriously when they spoke of a Messiah. It kind of looked like a cruel hoax. I mean, had God had forgotten his people? Well, it certainly appeared that way. But throughout the darkest of dark hours, 
the faithful remnant in Israel never gave up believing that God would surely, somehow, sometime, some way, keep his promises. The generations came and went without any word from the Lord, and though the godly were buried without ever seeing it come to pass, the hope of divine visitation never waned completely. There was always a flickering flame of belief that God would indeed visit his people and fulfill his ancient promises. And now at last, after all these years, the moment has arrived. As Zechariah looks down at his baby son, he knows that the crucial moment has arrived. In his arms he holds the baby who will grow up to prepare the way of the Lord. That could only mean one thing. The Messiah is on the way. The long wait is over. God has visited his people. His friends, the Benedictus is about this one great truth that God has at long last visited his people. Now, in these verses that follow, we learn five facts about this divine visitation and the blessings that flow from it. Fact number one, it's saving purpose. Here, Zechariah focuses on the great purpose for the coming of Jesus. He came to save his people. And Zechariah mentions God's saving purpose in four ways. In verse 68, he came to redeem his people. In verse 69, he raised up a horn of salvation. Verse 71, uh, salvation from our enemies to rescue us from the hand of them. And in verse 77, he came to forgive sins. It says to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Zechariah is telling us that God did not visit simply to see how we were doing. He knew how we were doing. We were in trouble and he came to save us. And yes, friends, that's what Christmas is all about. Fact number two is predicted fulfillment. As a godly Jew, Zechariah can't get over the fact that God has at long last kept his promises. All that he said he would do, he has at last begun to accomplish. Zechariah says three things about the promise of the Messiah. In verse 70, he says it was promised by the prophets. In verse 72, he said it was cherished by the fathers. And in verses 72 and 73, he said, and it was guaranteed to Abraham. See, God is now doing what he's promised to do. The prophets saw it coming, not every detail and no one saw it clearly, but they knew the day would come when God would visit his people. I mean, Micah spoke of it and so did Isaiah and Jeremiah. Even Abraham looked forward to this day as did Moses and David. They all saw it coming, all looked through the dim mist of history. And so a bright glimpse of the day when God would finally visit his people. They knew it was coming. They just didn't know exactly when it would happen. Now this truth leads me to a crucial conclusion about Jesus. He must be great because the preparation for his coming took 2,000 years. Friends, that's no small event. His coming is the biggest event in history. History is really his story. All that came before him pointed to him. All that comes after him looks back to him. He is the centerpiece of history, the demarcation between yesterday and tomorrow. In the birth of Jesus, we have come to the crux and pivot of history. His birth is the focus point of time. And do you want proof? According to my calendar, it's 2018, 2018. Now, where did that number come from? Well, it represents 2018 years after his birth. We don't do that for Confucius or Buddha or Muhammad or any other great leader, ancient or modern. How important is Jesus? 
Well, we measure time by his coming to the earth. I mean, even unbelievers pay unconscious tribute to him every time they write 2018 on a check. Zechariah is telling us something here very crucial. God has visited the world in the person of Jesus, and nothing will ever be the same again. Here's fact number three. It's transforming enablement. In verses 74 and 75, Zechariah speaks of the transformation he'll make in the lives of those who follow him. And his coming produced an emotional transformation. It says to enable us to serve him without fear. It also produces ethical transformation in holiness and righteousness all our days. And then it also produces spiritual transformation to enable us to serve him. I mean, so many people live lives of quiet desperation. They feel that there's no answer to the question, why am I here? Zechariah makes the answer clear. Jesus came to to admit us to the joyful service of God. See, this is God's ultimate purpose for you. He saved you so that you might fulfill the highest calling in the universe, and that is serving God without fear in righteousness and holiness forever. He came so that we who were lost in sin might be lifted up into the service of God. He came so that we who served another master might serve God our Creator. He came so that we who feared death might serve God free from fear forever. He came so that we who lived in fear of punishment might be so completely forgiven that we'd never fear punishment again. He came so that we who were idle in the marketplace of life might be given a transforming purpose for living. He came so that we who once did not please God might be pleasing him forever. He came so that we who were ungodly might be made holy. He came so that we who were unrighteous might be made righteous. That, my friends, is the transforming enablement brought about by the coming of Christ, the Messiah, to earth. Here's fact four. It's prepared forerunner. Now, Zechariah considers the significance of the baby he holds. And in verses 76 and 77, he speaks directly to his son, John later called John the Baptist, and he utters three specific predictions about his future. He starts out by saying, you're going to be a prophet of God. He says, you, my child, will be called prophet of the Most High. And then he talks about preparation. He said, you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. And then he proclaims the knowledge of salvation by preaching the forgiveness of sins. He said, to my son, you will be there to give his your people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now, this is exactly what John the Baptist did. His whole mission was to make the nation ready for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. He was a prophet, a preparer, and a preacher of salvation. John began his ministry in the desert region around the Jordan, uh, preaching repentance from sin. And multitudes flocked to hear his message, and many heard him favorably. He baptized lots of people and so helped prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And when John saw Jesus, he cries out in John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. But at this moment, John is just eight days old. But his father clearly sees the work God has called him to do. It's a wonderful thing to discover your place in God's plans and to fulfill his mission in your life, your mission in life, whether your part, your part be great or small. John was the man God chose to prepare the way for Jesus. His father plainly saw it and included his infant son in his song of praise to God. Now here's fact number five. It talks about its liberating impact. 
In one final burst of praise, Zechariah speaks of three great blessings that the coming of the Christ child brings to this earth. It is light to those who are in darkness. Verse 78 says, the rising sun will come to us from heaven. It is pardon to those condemned to death. Verse 79, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. And third, it is guidance to those who have lost their way. It says, to guide our feet in the path of peace. His words picture a huge caravan moving along slowly through the Middle Eastern desert. Somehow the caravan loses its way and now it's lost in the darkness. During the cold night, the enemies draw near and make ready to attack and death is not far away. But then at the darkest moment of the night, when all hope seems lost, a light from on high suddenly shines on the caravan. The enemies are scattered and death disappears and in the bright light, the leaders of the caravan see the path they had lost. Taking courage, the travelers resume their journey, confident now that they are going the right way. And yes, that's the difference Jesus makes. When he comes into a life, shadows flee away. When he comes into a life, we find the path we thought we'd lost forever. When he comes into a life, despair is gone, for our feet have found the path of peace. That is the liberating impact of Jesus. Let me draw my conclusion from the Benedictus of Zechariah. If we look at Christmas this way, we see it in a new light. Nothing like this has ever happened before. God has visited his people, and nothing will ever be the same again. He has come to save his people. He has come to release them from their fears. He has come to forgive their sins. He has come to guide them on the path of peace. And friends, these words are for you. During Christmas, and the other days as well, we ought to ask some crucial questions. Do you believe it really happened? Do you believe he came with you in mind? Have you entered the things Zechariah talked about? That's the key. These words of Zechariah are just words and until they become true for you. Has that ever happened in your life? I close with the dominant theme of Zechariah's song set clearly before us. God has visited his people in the person of Jesus. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.